listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. We have uh, just three more weeks until we're going to jump into three services. Great opportunity. I want to encourage you to, even now, to be start praying on who, we, who are you going to bring with you? We've got three services. We're going to empty up 724 new seats on a Sunday. And so who are you bringing? Who are you bringing with you? And the second question is, where are you serving? Because we need you to serve. If we're going to pull off three services, uh, I'm going to preach. I, I'd serve somewhere else, but I can't. So uh, I'm taking that, those three hours, but, but you're not. And so we'd ask you, if you're not on a service team, there'll be tables out front uh, all, uh, for those teams that have needs. Uh, if you're a member of CBC and you're not on a team, jump on a team, please. We need you to pull this off. Uh, and it's a great opportunity for us as church as we continue to see people uh, coming to faith and coming to, uh, to our church. And so we're excited about it. So, all right, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew 16. If you have a Bible, if you don't, there should be one in front of you or download the app, ESV app real quick on your phone and you can follow along with us. We've been working our way through Matthew. We're in week 37 of who knows how many. Uh, so, but we're, we're, we're halfway, more than halfway through. So we're, we're continuing to go through. Um, not growing up with cell phones and, and texting, it, you know, that's, we, back in the day when we actually spoke in full sentences and used full words, uh, it's, it's, it's obviously been a, a challenging adaptation for me, especially with teenagers and now 20-year-olds, uh, keeping up with all the new abbreviations, right? The only abbreviation we had growing up was TGIF. It was a lousy restaurant. That was all it was, right? Uh, it was Applebee, a glorified Applebee's with a different banner out front, right? Uh, but now, you know, you got every, you know, my kids are texting me, like, you know, and, and I get the, the easy ones, like the LOL, right? No one really LOLs, but we all LOL, Right? Uh, or be right back, BRB, or never mind. You know my kid, You know I, I got. So I have to look these up sometimes and, and Google them to figure out what my kids are saying to me. Um, I, I heard one in a sermon last week that I was like, "What is that one? What is it was DTR?" I was like, "What is DTR?" And then, and then the guy explained what DTR was. DTR, for the young people know, it's define the relationship. All right, it's that we got to have that DTR talk, right? You know, you've been you're kind of hanging out with some folks, and then you start texting some folks, and then you go out a couple more times, and then at some point, you got to have the DTR. What are we doing here, right? What is going on? And then you know, hopefully it goes well, or maybe not. Either way, and then there's then then we're now we're whatever the terminology is today. Back in the day, you know, you're you're dating someone, you're going steady you know, whatever, your boyfriend, girlfriend. Today, my teenagers told me, that you're talking, we're talking. What is it? No, you're not. You're Snapchatting. That's all you're doing. So, no, you never talk. You're like, you know, you're, this, is all, this is a relationship now. You know, whatever. Send that, right? Okay, but whatever. When that commitment happens, there's a change. And, and Jesus, last week, he, he initiated a DTR, with his disciples, define the relationship. What's going on here? What are we doing here, right? And the thing about a, a DTR is when there is a greater commitment, always what follows is greater intimacy, right? In any relationship, when there's that commitment, whether it's marriage or relationship with these, these friends of yours, we go, when there's a deeper commitment, there is deeper intimacy. And so Jesus, uh, after years of being with these guys, says, okay, let's talk about this. Who do you say that I am? Peter answers, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God, you're the Messiah. He says, bingo. 
But here's the thing. In the words of Inigo Montoya, you keep using the word, I do not think it means what you think it means. See, they, they know that Jesus is Messiah. They got the word right, but they don't get what that means. Right? They don't get the definition. They don't get the content of what does that mean. And so Jesus is going to have a, a DTR with these guys to correct their, their information so they understand what this really means. And in doing so, it's not just for them. If it's, it's for us, if you are a follower, if you say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, then this DTR is for us. And what he's gonna do in, in, these, in these verses we look at today, we're gonna highlight three things of what this means. Something that it means for him, something that it means for us, something that it means for all of us together, right? And so that's where we're going today. In Matthew chapter 16, we're gonna cover verse 21 all the way to 17, 13. So let me just jump right in because we've got a lot of text and not a lot of time, all right? So verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So three, three things I want you to kind of circle in your mind, circle in your Bible in verse, verse 21, right? It says, from that time he began. That, that word began, that means there's something new. He hasn't been doing this up to this point. Two and a half years in and he changes, okay? Because he's having this DTR. We're going deeper now and I'm going to show you something. So he begins to teach, to show, that's the second word. How does he showing them? Uh, my assumption is he's using the Old Testament. Hey, you know that Psalm that says, my hands and feet were pierced? That's talking about me. You know that, that, that chapter in Isaiah that says that like a lamb led to slaughter? That's me. You know that passage that says that his grave was, was with a rich man? That's me. You know that one that says all our griefs were, he bore? That's me. You know that one that says he will not let his holy one stay in the grave? That's me. He starts to show them for the first time, what must happen. And that's the third word I want you to circle, must. This is what must happen. It's this Greek word, day. It is necessary. He's saying, this is God ordained. There is not another option. This is what has to happen. I, me, the Messiah, the son of God must die. That's what's gonna happen. And he doesn't leave it there. He says, and on the third day be raised. But the disciples don't hear that. They only hear the negative, right? What they should have heard is, Messiah must die. No, but he's gonna come back in the third day. Oh, okay, that's good. All right. They should have heard that. All they hear was, Messiah is going to die. And see, and this is why they and we need the DTR talk. Because there's all sorts of false expectations when, in relationships, right? What's gonna happen? What it really is gonna be like versus what we expect it to be, right? They have false expectations of what? Messiah, this is why they need a definition. This is why they need to know what it means. They think Messiah is gonna come and kick Rome out and give the land back to Israel and forever Israel's gonna have its glory return. They want a conquering Messiah. They want a general, a military general Messiah. That's the kind of Messiah they're looking for. And what they're missing is that at his first coming, Messiah comes to die. At his second coming, he comes to rule and to reign, Right? 
But here's the first part what Jesus is saying. Okay, let's define the relationship. Here's my part. Messiah is gonna suffer and die. He must suffer and die. I am going to be rejected. I am going to suffer. I am going to be killed. And have you, I know that's kind of common language in the church, but think about that. Have you ever thought about why? Why must? Why is it necessary for Messiah to die? Why does it have to be this way? Why? And the answer is, is very simple. Because the wages of sin is death. See, implicit in the concept of sin is indebtedness, that there is a debt, a payment that must be paid that corresponds to the debt that is incurred. And the common you know, response is, well, can't God just forgive? Can't God just kind of like wave his hand and just forgive him? Y'all, y'all good, y'all good. He's a southerner, right? Y'all good. No biggie. Can't God just do that? After all, he's God. Well, if God could just do that, then why does he send his son to die? Because he can't just do that. Because God is loving, but he is also ultimately, he is holy. He is just. And if God is holy and just, then God must deal with sin. When his creation, created by him and for him, rebels against him, he can't just be like, y'all good. That debt has to be paid. Because if God doesn't deal with sin, then he is no longer holy and he is no longer just. And if he's no longer holy and just, then he is no longer God. So for him to not do it, he cannot not deal with sin because he is God. He can't go against his very nature. And so he has to deal with sin. And we get this in the earthly realm a little bit, right? We saw a lot of us, if you pay attention to the news, this horrendous kidnapping and murder that happened last week in Memphis of one of our sisters. She's a believer right? Taken from her two kids and her husband, murdered by a man who's done this prior. Can you imagine if that judge is standing over that man who has murdered this mom and he has kidnapped other people and raped other people, if he said, you know what, buddy, I think you're sorry. So we're going to let this one slide, but just don't do it again. Be nice. You can go free. Our nation would rise up and say, that is not just That is not just, and we would be right. We get it there, but we just don't get it from the grandness of who God is because he is so distinct and so holy. But if God would say, ah, no biggie, y'all sinned, it's no biggie, that he would no longer be just and thus he would no longer be God. But he has to deal with sin, right? It is necessary, right? And the only way for sin to be dealt with is someone's got to pay it. And the problem is this, nobody here can pay for it because we're all guilty. There is none righteous, no, not one. There's no number one draft pick out there. It's like, ah, that's our guy. He's going to save our team. Nobody. And so what God does is he leaves heaven. He adds perfect humanity to his deity, becomes a man, and he lives a life that you and I could never live, perfect, innocent, sinless. And then when he's 33 and a half years old, he lays down his own life as a sacrifice, as a substitute for you and for me to pay for your sins because you can't pay for it. And this is why the writer 
to Romans, Paul says this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God, that God the Father put forward as a propitiation. That word just means the wrath of God satisfied. That God the Father is just and he is holy, so he has to punish sin. And Jesus satisfies his wrath by his blood. And we receive that by faith. This is to show God's righteousness because he's holy, because he's just. In his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. The Old Testament, he, he kind of put on pause until Christ would come. But look, look at the end of the verse. He said, this, he did all this so that he might be just and the justifier. So how does God punish sin and be just in doing so? And at the same time, let us be forgiven because he punishes his own son, satisfying his justice and his wrath, but at the same time in his grace, giving us access to himself. That is why Messiah had to die. He had to suffer so that the wrath and the holiness of God is satisfied at the same time so you don't have to experience it, right? That's why Jesus says, I had to do this. And Peter's like, I don't like it. Don't like it at all. Peter takes him aside, tries to be respectful. Jesus, I got one minute over here. Can you imagine Peter bringing him over? And as soon as he gets over, what are you thinking? He begins, it says, to rebuke Jesus. It's the same word that Jesus rebukes the demons and the storm. Peter rebuking Jesus. Far be it from you. You're missing the point, Jesus. Don't you know why you're here, Jesus? Come on. Don't you know why God sent you? Right, can you imagine? And I wonder if Peter's thinking, I bet I'm gonna get another pat on the back. I mean, he just told me, blessed are you, Simon. You're gonna be the first pope now. Congratulations. Maybe he'll make me something else. Give me another ribbon, right? I bet Peter thinks he's doing good here. But what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me. And not that Peter is literally Satan, but Jesus is saying, I recognize that voice. That's the same voice from Matthew 4 that said, Jesus, you don't need to go to the cross. If you just bow to me now, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. You can have them. Skip that cross, skip that suffering, skip all that rigmarole. Just bow to me and it can be yours. It's the same voice. Peter is buying into a man-made philosophy where I, I choose comfort, over sacrifice. So he says, you're not setting your mind on the things of God, the things of man, right? I know what I have to do. I have to suffer. This is why in John chapter 12, Jesus says, my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? It's for this purpose I have come to this hour. This is why I came. Understand, y'all, this was always plan A. This was always, from the beginning, plan A, that Jesus would come and suffer and die. Acts chapter two, according to the predetermined plan and the foreknowledge of God the Father. And if you think how amazing that is, when Jesus himself, the creator of all things, remember all things are created by him, for him, and through him. When he is speaking, let there be light, and there was light. Let there be man, and there was man. When he is speaking those things into existence, he already knows I am gonna have to come, become one of them, and die for them. That was plan A all along. Messiah must suffer, must. And so the first kind of idea in this to define the relationship is I'm gonna die, I'm gonna suffer, and I am gonna rise. That's his part. He's gonna move on to our part, verse 24. Then 
Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would, lose, would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will a profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the son of man is, is going to come with his angels in the glory of his father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So he goes from him to them. He says, if anyone would come after me. He says, if you wanna come, you wanna follow me, that's the idea, you wanna be my follower, my disciple, you're welcome. Any man, any woman, right? But here's what's gonna happen. Here's the DTR. Here's your role here. He tells them two things. Number one, you're going to deny yourself. And number two, you're going to take up your cross. And it's, it, it comes across a little interesting in the English because this is what we, in Greek, it's a third person singular imperative. That's, it's a command is what it's saying. It's, it's a command. So it's, a, a easier read would be, he must deny. She must deny. You want to come after me? Please. But you must deny yourself. And what does that mean? Right? It doesn't mean deny your personality, deny your background, deny your upbringing. Right? That's not what it says. It's not talking about deny. You have to deny everything that's good in your life and that you like, you have to deny. So if you like going to the beach, no more Tybee for you. You like cheesecake, no more cheesecake. You like watching football, no more football, no more. You like going to the gym, you can't go to the gym. You have to deny yourself. Everything that you like, you have to turn away from. That's not what he's saying. Because we know every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of Lights. What he is saying is this, that that heart, it's in all of us to choose me first. What do I want? What'll make me look good? What'll make me liked by everybody? How do I get acceptance? What do I want? Me, 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 me. That heart of me, 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 me has got to be done, period. That starting point of what do I want to do with my life? What do I want to do with my money? What do I want to do with my time? What do I, how do I want to behave? What do I want to say? What do I want to, that is gone, that you're going to have to step down off your little throne, and it is a little throne. It's a little folding chair throne. You're going to have to get rid of that throne, and you're going to have to bend the knee and say, it's not what I want, God. What do you want for my life? Yeah, I want to go to this college, but do you want me to that college? Yeah, I want to do this with my extra money. Is that what you want? Yeah, I want to, I want to respond to that person like this. How, how do you want me to respond? What do you want with my life? What do you want me to go? Because I've been bought with a price, blood of Christ. So now it's not what I want, what makes me look good, what would be awesome for me, make me popular, me, 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 me. Jesus, what do you want, right? That's denying yourself. And then take up your cross. And this is not like, oh, it's my cross to bear. It's just a hard thing. I got chemistry this semester. It's my cross to bear. No, it's not that, Okay. The cross for them was murder, was shame, was suffering. That's what the cross means for them, being mocked. And what Jesus is saying is, you can no longer run your life the way you want if you come after me. And my plan, just so we're clear, is gonna involve some suffering and some pain and some hardship and maybe some death. Who's coming with me? right? Who's coming with me? Rejection, loss of, of things, 
maybe loss of your life. Who's in, right? And here's the second part of the DTR. Messiah is going to suffer and die. Here's the second part. Here's your part. You must suffer and die. You may have to die physically, but you're certainly gonna have to die spiritually to yourself daily. And it's gonna involve some struggle. Look, y'all, I know that this is a stark contrast to to the message we often hear, right? Come to Jesus. It'll make everything awesome. You're gonna be the best athlete if you just come to Jesus because you can do all things through Christ. He strengthens you. You're gonna get the great promotion if you come to Jesus. You'll never get sick. You're gonna find the spouse of your dreams. You're gonna have 2.5 kids and a Labrador and a boat if you come to Jesus. That's the promise that we're offering. It's the American gospel. Come to Jesus, he'll make your life great. That's not what he's saying here. Is it? In fact, I read an article that one of y'all sent me this week called The American Gospel Versus the Biblical Gospel. Let me, let me read just a portion of it to you. Biblical Gospel starts with God. The American Gospel starts with me. The Biblical Gospel focuses on the cross. The American Gospel bypasses the cross. The Biblical Gospel calls for repentance and transformation. The American Gospel offers enhancement and self-improvement. The biblical gospel points to our need for a savior. The American gospel portrays Jesus as a glorified life coach. The biblical gospel calls us to crucify our flesh. The American gospel caters to the flesh. The biblical gospel says that as fallen human beings, we are wretches in need of God's amazing grace. The American gospel says that we are amazing and that God would be honored to get to know us. The biblical gospel holds us accountable to God. The American gospel holds us accountable to us, God accountable to us. The biblical gospel says, this is who God is. This is how he feels. And we are here to please him. The American gospel says, this is who I am. This is how I feel. And God is here to please me. And what Jesus is saying is here is you want to follow me? I want you to follow me. But you got to deny yourself, get off your little throne, deny all your the stuff that you want, and you follow me. And if that means suffer, great. If that means loss, great. If that means they kill you, come with me because they persecuted me, they hated me, they're gonna hate you. We gotta stop trying to be liked. Start trying to be followers, right? And I'm not saying be jerks and be arrogant and pompous. We should still be loving and caring and gentle, but we cannot worry about what people think because it's gonna cost. It's not easy. For some of you, that means you're gonna have to turn down a job or turn down a contract. Not because you don't need the money, because if you take it, you're gonna be asked to compromise your morality and what God would say. And you gotta ask, which one's my God there? Is the almighty dollar and the car payment or is Jesus my God? And you're gonna have to reject that job and that promotion or that because it's gonna pull you away from what God is calling you to do. And that's gonna be loss. Some of you are gonna have to end a relationship that you might need to end now. And I know you got dreams that you're gonna be married by 24, kids by 27, boat by 32, lake house by 35. And that's your plans and that's your dreams. And you know what? God's plans are different and you ain't gonna be married at 25 because he's wrong for you. And that may throw everything off and the lake house down the road off. And maybe God doesn't have the lake house for you. Nothing wrong with lake houses, but maybe that extra money that you're gonna spend on the boat, God's gonna have you steward towards the kingdom where you're gonna get much more investment, right? You don't know, but there might be a loss because it's not my will, it's God's will. 
maybe some of you, those boys, those girls you used to run with in college and your fraternity and you were a Tridel and you were a Sig Ep and you were this and woo, we're gonna go to the Auburn game and blah, blah, blah. And you don't get an invite this year because you're not fun anymore. You used to be fun. You used to be the wild man. You used to be the guy that we could trust to, to do something really silly that we could talk about for the whole next year. And you're just not the same. So we're leaving you off the invite, right? Because we feel guilty when we're around you because you're different, right? And that's a, not necessarily a bad thing. There might be loss there, right? That idol that you're nursing, that you've been finding life in, secret, that little addiction, that little habit that you know is not healthy. And Jesus is saying, you need to kill that now, right? You need to kill it. And it's gonna feel like death when you kill it because it is death because you've been getting a little life from it and now you're squashing it and it's gonna hurt for a season. But he says, you're gonna find life in the end because that's fake life. Some of you are gonna have to let go of a grudge or some bitterness that you've been kind of nursing for so long because that person trashed your business and my name has never been the same or that person left me or hurt me or whatever and you're gonna have to give up your rights to get back at them because Jesus forgave you and you're gonna have to release them and you may never, this side of heaven, see justice. You may never see your name restored. You may be despised by people for a wrong reason. You may be, they may be lying about you and the truth may never really come out and you're gonna have to be okay with that and that's gonna hurt and be painful. Jesus says, it's okay, they did that to me too, right? That's the way it is. And I, and I don't know specifically, but I know this, the, the call to follow is not easy. It's not easy. It's difficult. And Jesus says, that's where I'm going. But before you talk yourself out of it, Look what he says. Four, that first word is key. It's explaining. Yes, I know this is gonna be hard. I know this is gonna be challenging, but you wanna save your life? If whoever would save his life will lose it. You, you, you wanna really live? Then you gotta lay it down because whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He says, you may get the life that you want here, right? Get all your dreams and, and live it up and get everything you want. Get the lake house, the 2.5 kids, the Labrador, the whatever. You may get it all, six numbers in your bank account, whatever. But in the end, you're going to lose God if that's where your God is. You're going to lose it. But you lay it all down, which seems opposite. You're going to gain it. Why? For what does it profit a man? Again, there's an explanatory. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And you forfeit your soul. You, what if you become Jeff Bezos? You're so rich that you can nerd out and create your own Lord of the Rings show. I mean, if I had a bazillion dollars, that's what I'd do. I'd do a lot of that. But you can spend a half a billion dollars doing some Tolkien because money is not an issue. And you can do all that. And who cares at the end of your life if that's all you have? What would Jeff Bezos do for his soul, what would he pay for his soul? And I don't know where the man stands spiritually, but wh who, who cares at the end? I've been reading a ton this week about the queen and, uh, and, and her passing. And I'm not a big you know, monarchy guy. I don't care about all that stuff. I mean, to be quite honest with you, I hate England because of 1776. I mean, that's just the way I am. So, and I'm not a fan of soccer, so it's, you know. But, but actually, I love England and I love our partnership with them. But I have come to really admire the Queen of England. As more I've read about her 
and, and her character and her, what I never knew before, but her faith in, in Christ and in God, right? And she lived 96 years. That's a long time, right, in our terms. But really, it's not long at all. And you think about this. Here's a woman, her 96 years is up, and now where is she? She's with the real king, the real monarch, right? I mean, she lived well, his faith in God. It doesn't matter what she was here. It only matters with who she knew. And that's Jesus's point, right? Don't spend your life playing a game. It may feel like it's real, but in the end, it's just Monopoly money. It really is. You can't go anywhere and and use Monopoly money because it's fake. He says, where it really matters, it's just Monopoly money. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how many followers you have. I don't care how much influence you have. I don't care how big your house is, how many houses you have. It doesn't matter in the end. It's Monopoly money. So don't wait before it's too late. Because one day, he says, the Son of Man is going to come with his angels and the glory of his Father. And he's gonna repay every person. This is going to happen one day. And at that point, only one thing matters. Do I know Christ or do I not? And so he says, is it, is it gonna be challenging? Yes. Is it gonna be worth it? Yes, it will. It will, right? The DTR, Messiah must die, right? And so must you to yourself. And you must suffer if necessary, but it will be worth it. And Jesus at the end of this paragraph, it links to the next chapter. He says something interesting. He said, truly, I say to you, there's some standing here, i.e. with you 12, that you're not gonna taste death. You're not gonna die until you see the Son of Man coming in the kingdom. You're like, what in the world does that mean? And the commentaries are all over the place. And I'm not gonna give you everything they say. Some say it's the resurrection. Some say it's the church being born. Some say it's 70 AD, the temple being destroyed. Uh, I think that what he's saying here is exactly what's gonna happen in chapter 17, what we call the transfiguration, that, that there's gonna be some folks that see the glorified Son before they die. And that's exactly what happens in chapter 17, right? So, so let's jump in real quick because what's gonna happen in chapter 17 is this is the movie trailer for what's coming. You know what the movie trailer is? They drop a trailer, it's two and a half minutes and you kind of get a little sneak peek of the movie that's coming out in six months. That's what Jesus is doing for the kingdom right here for these, these few men. He's gonna show them what this thing, where this whole thing is going. And this is the last part of the DTR. And after six days... Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led him up to a high mountain by themselves. Okay, and if you read the other gospel accounts, so you can kind of put together what happens here. He takes Peter, James, and John, the inner circle, and they go up on the mountain and they go to pray. And of course, during prayer, the disciples fall asleep because that's what they always do. So they're, they're sleeping over there and it says Jesus was transfigured before them. So they're sleeping and they wake up and they see a metamorphosu. Okay, this is the same word that's used in Romans 12 too. Don't be conformed to this world, be transformed. That Jesus, literally his face has changed. His clothes are so bright, one of the gospel writers says, it's like no launderer on earth could get it. No tide with bleach, no whatever. His clothes are shining. His face is changed. He is shining. They are freaking out. You say, what is going on here? Here's what's going on. 
is that Jesus is pulling back the veil a little bit so that you can see what his humanity has been hiding, it's been clothing. He is showing them what Isaiah sees in Isaiah 6 when he falls on his face and says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He is seeing what John sees in in Revelation chapter one when Jesus shows up in his glorified self and John falls on his face like a dead man. They are getting a glimpse of where this whole thing is going. And the miracle, y'all, is not that they get to see a shiny Jesus. That's not the miracle. The miracle is that this flesh and blood can veil that. That he literally veils himself in flesh and blood to to hide the glory that has been his for all eternity and will be his. And he is pulling it back just a little bit for them to see it and it blows their minds, right? It blows their minds, his glory. And then it says, behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking. So here's glorified Jesus and Moses and Elijah are having a convo. You're thinking, man, what was that about? Luke tells us what it was about. They're talking about him going to Jerusalem to die. That's what they're talking about. But can you imagine? Here's Peter, here's, here's, here's James or John. They're looking at Jesus like, Moses, Elijah. Can you believe? how did they recognize them? I have no clue. No name tags then, I don't think. Maybe in the synagogue, you know, you've been to the old Baptist church, like the pastor from 1942, 1945's picture. Maybe they had a picture of Elijah and Moses in the temple. I don't know. Oh, prophet from 600 BC, though, whatever, you know. I don't know how he recognizes them, but they know it's Elijah and Moses, probably symbolic of the law and the prophets, which all point to the fact that Jesus will come and die. But the response of Peter is worth mentioning because Peter, in typical fashion, responds. And the, and the one gospel writer says, and Peter, not knowing what to say, should be a hint, then don't. But he can't help himself. So he says, Lord, it is good that we are here. Yeah, Peter, when you see a glorified Jesus, Elijah and Moses, that's good. Yeah, that's a good thing, right? Did we need that statement? No, we did not. He says, it's good to be here. If you wish, I'll make three tents. One for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses. We're going to camp out. I'm going to go to Bass Pro. I'm going to get a couple of Inus, get a couple of fire pits. We're going to live here. This is awesome. You say, what is going on? Why does Peter want to go camping with these guys? Okay, you got to get inside the Jewish mindset now, all right? A little, a little Hebrew background is the, the Jews have seven feasts to the Lord every year. And each feast in a specific way pointed to the work of Christ and what he would do. First feast is what? Passover right? The lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. Second feast, unleavened bread, the removal of sin. Third feast, the first fruits, resurrection. That's all in one weekend. Then you have 50 days later, you have the feast of Pentecost, which is where the church was born and the spirit would come. And then after that, you have the feast of trumpets, the gathering of the, of the church and the day of atonement, where the people one day, the, the Jewish people will look upon whom they pierced and they'll, they'll see that he was the Messiah. And the last feast is the feast of tabernacles or booths. Okay, and what they would do is they would they'd go out into the wilderness for seven days and they would have a feast and a party and they would live in tents and they would celebrate remembering that God dwelt with them, that God tabernacled with them. And the Old Testament says that in the kingdom, one day we're gonna celebrate the feast of booze together, all of us. We're gonna go camping. If you don't like camping, then you're gonna go camping anyway. And we're gonna go into the new kingdom and this new heavens and new earth and we're gonna remember that God tabernacles, that he dwells with us. And so Peter's like, Elijah, boom, Moses, boom, glorified Jesus. It's here. The kingdom is here. Let's build the tents. Let's celebrate booze. 
And, and he makes a mistake being starstruck. He says, I'm gonna make one for you and Moses and for Elijah. And it's as if he's putting these three together as like on the same level and God the Father steps in before he can even finish. He was still speaking and a bright cloud, the Shekinah glory falls and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son. It's emphatic in the Greek. This is up front. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. He's my beloved. He's the one of a kind. He is completely unique. Elijah's fine. Moses is fine. This is my son. Peter, listen to him. And the other disciples are like, Peter, why do you always have to do this to us? You're going to die and run our faces. And they're terrified. And the next thing they know is a hand comes to each one of their shoulder in the middle of the cloud where they can't see and they look up and it's Jesus and he says, rise and have no fear. And he's not glowing anymore. And Elijah and Moses are gone. They got a glimpse of the kingdom. They got a glimpse of Jesus and his glory. And then they're coming down the mountain and Jesus says, don't tell anybody until after the resurrection, which they're like, still goes over their head, right? Again, if they would have heard him, how many of them would have been waiting at the stone on that Sunday morning? We've been waiting for this. He told us like 30 times but they just over their heads every time. But then Peter's got a question of the disciples, which is a shock that they're actually asking questions after that. But they say, okay, so we just saw Elijah. Jesus, you gotta tell us. Why, why did the scribes say Elijah gotta come first? I mean, what's this, we just saw Elijah. What's going on with this, this prophecy in Malachi that Elijah's gonna come? Jesus answers, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. I tell you, Elijah already came and they didn't recognize him, but they did whatever they pleased. So also the son of man will certainly suffer at their hands. And the disciples understood he's speaking to them about John the Baptist. He says, John the Baptist was the fulfillment of the prophecy of Elijah that I, before the great day of the Lord, will send my prophet Elijah and he will prepare the hearts of men. That's out of Malachi. That's what John the Baptist did. Now, I personally think that Elijah is still coming. My eschatology, kind of that's where I land. Elijah was one of two guys in the Old Testament that never died. Do you know that? Elijah and Enoch. Elijah, just one day, this kind of like this, uh, roller coaster chariot comes down from heaven and he jumps on and whoosh, he goes back to heaven. He never died. So Jesus says he has come and he will come. I think in the tribulation period, there's two witnesses, Revelation 11, you can read about it. Well, I think one of them is Elijah. I can't prove it, but I'm right. <laughs> Maybe not, but I won't be here if I'm wrong. So that's okay. But it makes sense because Elijah never died. Either way, it's not the point of the text, right? That's not the point. The point is this, God has given us a sneak peek of where this whole thing is going. He gave the disciples a sneak peek of where this whole thing is going. The DTR, I'm gonna die, you must suffer, you must follow me, you may die, but in the end, where's this thing going? It's going here, God with us, right? It's going to God with us. Now understand this, if Jesus walked in, the glorified Jesus walked in, the one that showed himself on the mountain, the one he is now, you couldn't handle it. I know you're like, oh, we wish Jesus would just show up. And if Jesus showed up in his glorified body right now, every single one of us, me first, because I would be the first one to see him, would be on our face trying to hide because he is so glorious. And we can't, in this fallen sinful body, handle it, which is why we have to have a new body and new, the new heavens and the earth. We will get a glorified body. But in that glorified body, we will be able to be and dwell with Jesus just like Elijah and just like Moses. 
right? Because there'll be no more sin and there'll be no more fear. In fact, this is where it's all going. For Revelation 21, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is where? With us. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away the tears. Death will be no more. Neither will be mourning, no crying, nor pain. The former things have passed away. This is why the New Testament says that it's the sufferings of this present world aren't worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. That we see in a mirror dimly, one day we will see face to face. So Jesus tells his disciples, I have to go away. Why do you have to go away? I have to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be. That's where this whole thing is going. God with us. That's it. That's the future. That's the DTR, right? But you gotta lay down your life. You gotta be willing to lay down your life and follow him because that's what he did. And we're just following him. And I think the response for us is twofold as a church. Number one, this should bring us y'all great delight, right? Following Jesus is not duty. It's not, well, I have to do it because he did it for me. I mean, there are things sometimes you just gotta wake up and you're like, I don't feel like this, but I'm gonna do it. I get that. But ultimately, this should be a delight that the God of the universe so loved you that he left his glory, clothed himself in humanity, became one of us, lived among us, suffered for us, rose again. Why? Not because you're great. All you did was rebel. It's because he is so great. Right? It's because he is so great. And despite the fact that you rebelled, he pursued you. And that should bring us great delight, even in the midst of struggle and suffering. Why? Because of where it's going. And it may be 90 years, 96 years, but in the end, an eternity with him. It's remarkable when you think about what God has done for us, not because we are great, but because he is. So there should be a delight piece for us, which is why we come back in here. Because by Wednesday, we're all like, oh. And we need to come back in here and get juiced up and hear how, how God is good and how he's pursued us and loved us. And so we go back out there tomorrow and then Tuesday, by the end of the week, we're all drained out again. But when we come in and get juiced in, because we need to be reminded that God is great. And no matter what happens to you out there, he's still great. And that one day, this is where it's all going. And the second response, I think, is this. We should listen to him because that's what God the Father tells Peter. Listen to him. Okay. I'm gonna listen to him. Why? Because he's God and I ain't. And I think some of us need to be remembering this. It's not just, oh, we come in and we get to get our sins forgiven. Isn't that great? No, now we follow him. That means we deny ourselves. That means a sin that so easily entangles us, we deny it. This is why Peter, when he, when he thinks about this instance, he, he talks about it in 2 Peter 1. He says, y'all, we didn't follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty when he received glory and honor from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He's talking about this event. He says, we heard the voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so here's the result. Now we have the prophetic word, the word of God made more sure to which you would do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place. What is he saying? When, when the voice speaks, it just confirmed everything the Bible says. And now this is even made more sure by what we saw. So now we want to listen to him. Now we want to obey him. Now we want to follow him because this is true. And that's the response of the people of God. Follow him, obey him. Because you got one of three responses here, y'all. We really do. Some of us, we're like, we hear this and we're like, I'm in. No matter what. 
And even if I lay down my life, I will gain a thousand times more in the kingdom because that's what Jesus says. And we're gonna struggle and we're gonna fall, which is why we need to come in here and remind ourselves of the good news, the gospel again, but we're in. But maybe some of you are like, I'm out. You're like Shark Tank. Yeah, I'm out. I don't want that. I mean, I think Jesus is good and I think he's fine. I think he's a good teacher, but I'm out. But here's the thing. If you think Jesus is good and he's fine and he's a good teacher, you can't think that. And, and say I'm out because he, he's either what he says he is or he's crazy because no one talks about son of man coming with angels and judging. If he's not who he says he is, then he's a wacko, right? But we believe he's truthfully saying who he is. And so the only response is you're my God because what will a man give for his soul? That's the question. If you say, I don't want Jesus, I don't want him, I don't want to follow him, then you got to ask yourself the question, how much is your soul worth? Because that's one day what you're gonna be facing. This is not a, oh, it's a light decision. This is eternity, heaven or hell. You can say no, you can reject. That's your choice. But it's a choice that costs more than you can fathom. And maybe your third, maybe the third response is yes, there's no, there's, I don't know, maybe. I mean, I got questions. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't understand everything. And if, that's, if you're in that maybe camp, I would say this. Man, that's awesome. Get your questions answered. Come to us, talk to us, love to point you in the right direction. Hey, the beauty of this passage is Jesus doesn't show up on the first day and say, all right, Peter, you in or out? You're gonna die. Right, he gives them two and a half years. It'd be like you go on a, on a first date with someone on a blind date and you're like, hey, when's the, when are we getting married? You'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't even like your shoes, son. <laughs> right, because that's weird. Jesus has been with these guys two and a half years before he says, okay, this is where we're going, you in? And so get your questions answered, but don't let maybe stay maybe. Because maybe has a way of constantly turning into what? To no. My kids ask me, hey, can we do that? And I'm like, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Hoping they forget. And it turns to no. Don't let maybe turn to no. Let maybe be, I'm in. Because this is eternity, y'all. That's where we're going. Son of man is coming. You would be ready, right? We're gonna pray and we're gonna celebrate the Lord's table. Again, a reminder, I think a great reminder of what we have in Christ. And if you were a follower of, of Jesus today, you're, you're, the, you're the I'm in camp, I'm in. Man, we invite you to celebrate, to participate, spend some time before we do repenting of sin, maybe searching your heart. But if you're in the I don't know or I'm out camp, here's what I would say. I would say just you don't need to participate in this celebration of the body and the blood of Christ. Here's why. Because these are reminders of those who've said, I'm in. And, and this, if, you're, if you're not in, we don't want you to participate because it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything for you. It would, be, it would be meaningless. So just let it pass. And no one's gonna say anything. No one's gonna be like, oh, I can't believe they didn't take the bread. No, it's okay. These are reminders for the people of God who have put their faith in Christ who said, I'm in. He died for me. He died for me in my place. So you guys and and gals, you guys can hand out the elements and here's what we'll do. We'll let them hand out and uh, the team will come up and and sing and lead us in a song. You can sing or you can just reflect and I'll come back up after one song and we'll participate together uh, in this this celebration of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Let me pray. Father, as we remember the cross, as we remember the body and the blood shed for us, uh, let us drive us to deny ourselves to take up our cross daily. And, and to follow you. That's something we need to be reminded of. And so uh, let us do it now. And this just be a, a moment where we're, 
just reestablishing who we're following and why we're doing it. I pray in Christ's name.